Okay. If you don't mind, I'll go ahead and turn the recorder on. Uh, um, it depends I'm, upon... I'm after losing your video, though, Damarato. Pardon? I'm after losing your video. I just have a picture of you. How about now? There you are, big man. Okay. Um, there, there is um, a way or a form of sensory strength that the Buddha talked about. And some people grab it like a puppy with a ball and run all over the yard with it. Okay. And so... Um, in the sense of sensory strength, the Buddha talks about guarding the eye door, guarding the ear door, in the sense of paying attention to what you look at and take control over that, to pay attention to what you hear and take control over that so that you avoid going into situations where you have to hear things that are not appropriate unwholesome, derogatory, hateful, and so we avoid that. And in the practice for the monks going around Benvatai, that uh, the way that the Buddha taught was to keep the eyes focused where you're going. All right, and he recommended about two bow lengths, which is about two heights of a human, an ox cart length is another way of saying it. In other words, you're, you're watching where you're going so that you can um, <clears throat> easily walk around and avoid things that may enter your path. Like, for instance, potholes or stickers or extra heavy rocks or uh, humans or animals coming into the road, all of that kind of stuff is only that you're using your eyes to watch where you're going so that you can proceed safely. That the monks, while they're on Vendabat, do not gawk and look around and see what there is to see. Finding some legs to stare at or some piece of cloth, right? Which is what people do in ordinary life. But the Buddha says, no, pay attention to what you're looking at. Pay attention to your sense restraints. Now, the puppy that grabs that teaching and runs off with it means that he's supposed to think that he's supposed to guard his senses so well that he closes them down. So that he's not watching where he's going. And he's not paying attention to anything that he's listening to, rather than paying close attention to what he's listening to. Right? That's the difference, is, is that many people get the wrong idea. They go really overboard. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um... Um, and would is virtue then tied into central sense restraint? What is I'm virtue? Sorry, what? Virtue. Yes. What is virtue? That's a good question. What is it? 
is not virtue any and anything, any and everything that you want it to be, and it is not what you don't want it to be? I mean, that's a very, very difficult word to define correctly. Well, I, w- I would and, say that someone who is selfish wouldn't be virtuous. Pardon? I would say that someone who is selfish would not be virtuous. Precisely so. That would be true in the sense of uh, people taking things that are not given. Because that's what selfishness is. Okay. And so he's taking things that are not given, which means then that he is actually creating dukkha or dissatisfaction in other people. Right? Okay. So is not then, as we're beginning to define virtue, really a good place to start and maybe even to end up is back to the teaching of the Buddha, dukkha. Dukkha Naroda. Now, often in the West, because of the Catholic Church in many different uh, situations, uh, virtue is assumed to be good behavior that's specifically good behavior. To where the Buddha's teaching is, is that good behavior is the avoidance of transmitting dukkha in word, speech, or actions. That if you're harming things by the way that you speak and harming things by the way that you're acting, then that would be the issue, right? But in the West, we've got a double duty. You've got to do good things in order to be virtuous. So, um, virtuous actually is not even the issue at all. The real issue is what state of mind are you in? If you're in the state of mind of being selfish, then you'll do selfish things and harm people. But being in a state of selfishness is actually being in a state of dukkha anyway. So all you're doing is spreading your dukkha. If you have no dukkha to spread, then you're not spreading any dukkha. Yeah, so but that's why I suppose I was asking. I can see how self-restraint is kind of tied into virtue because, like you said, it's about transmitting dukkha. And well, you're using a new word now, self-restraint. You, you recognize sorry, that you've se- that se- a new se- word to... Sorry, sense restraint. Um, I suppose, like, the more you keep grabbing for things, that's causing suffering for yourself, is it not? If there are unwholesome things, and if you overindulge, is that going to cause you more suffering? Um, no, you're wanting something is the creation of the suffering ignorantly wanting something that we don't have. That's the whole show. The results of all of that may be just another event of suffering or dukkha. Dissatisfaction. But wanting something you don't have is a dissatisfying state right then and there. And it puts us into actions. 
uh, those actions that we uh, go into may in fact be unwholesome actions based upon the unwholesome feelings that we had because of the unwholesome thoughts of wanting something that we don't have. Okay. Uh, he also talks about them, Rito. I know you said the minute you're catching up. Wait a minute, don't go to where I've said you're talking about him. Go ahead and please talk about him. Okay, he often says he talks about endurance of of the suffering sometimes. And sometimes then you you like where you what we're learning from you is when you look at what you're doing, if it's unwholesome, throw it out. But he sometimes is talking about enduring the suffering. Well, there is a sense of having to endure things when not enduring them will create a whole lot of suffering. An example of that is, is that if a child has broken their arm, they need to let it rest for a few weeks and keep it in a cast. And then they're going to endure having that broken arm in its healing process, which has a whole lot of itching inside of it, as well as the cast itself is uncomfortable. And the child has to learn to deal with that. For the duration and one of the ways of dealing with it is to actually and some doctors are doing it actually cast up the hand also to the point that the child can't use their hand normally when they break their arm they still want to hold the arm still because that's where it's broken and using the hand to do all kinds of things not recognizing that the hand can't move without the muscles around that broken area moving so you have to sterilize the hand also and keep it still so that the arm will heal. That's a way of talking about it. Now, there's more to it than that. So hang in there with me. Have you ever heard of AA? <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous. They I have a prayer. All right. The prayer is grant me the uh, serenity to endure the things that I cannot change and the courage to change the things that I can change and the wisdom to know the difference. OK, so we're talking about then we cannot often change the things that are on the outside, but we can change the things on the inside. And in that regard, whoever there is is teaching, perhaps is not talking about enduring the things that can be fixed. Why should we do that? Let's get some wisdom in there and figure out that we can fix that one and fix it. And those things that we can't fix, we can handle it. We can endure it. This is, in fact, the teaching of Opeka. So give me, let me give you this example, and that is of the Brahma-Viharas, the Mutha, Mudita, Karuna, and Upeka. And the example is a medical doctor. He has friendliness and a desire to help, and so he becomes a doctor. And then with his patients, he has great 
compassion. He wants them to not feel so bad. If he's got a good side manner, then he's going to be cheerful and help those people get over it with Mudita. But every one of his patients is going to die. Every one of them. Maybe not this year, but every doctor's patients, every one of them dies. How can the doctor handle the fact that he's having his patients die right in front of him while he's trying to cheer them up? What's the point? This is what often happens with people in those kinds of professions, and they call it burnout. What is the burnout? They're not actually capable or wise enough to recognize that they can't do anything about it now that the person is dead. Can't do anything except continue with the cheer and the joy because you can't fix it. Now, in that regard, that's even wiser than enduring something like the doctor enduring the fact that his patients die. No, he needs real wisdom to recognize that he is a failure, but he's a marvelous hero of a failure. Because he can, in fact, get over the fact that his patients die. And continue practicing medicine happily. So, in that regard, we can come back to this idea of enduring dukkha or enduring dissatisfaction. Is, is that are we going to find a way of coming out of our dissatisfaction with what we're doing or what's happened or what the event is and let it be that we don't have to continue being dissatisfied that's the issue the real upeka is getting over your death satisfaction with the things you can't fix and government's one of them you can't fix government no one can, and everyone who tries gets trapped in it and winds up becoming one of the crocodiles in the very pond that they wanted to drain, the very swamp that they wanted to drain. They become one of the crocodiles. Knowing that staying out of politics is good restraint of the senses. Stay away. Okay. You can't fix things on the outside, so why should I be dissatisfied with this or that politician? I can't fix it anyway, so why just not be satisfied that politics is a mess? No matter what country you go to, politics in that country is a mess. And we can be satisfied with that. We don't have to endure bad politics. We can get over that. Okay. So it, in this regard, it almost winds up, every, in every case, mental. Even the child who has the broken arm can eventually get over it and say, all right, I'm resigned. To leaving my hands still 
my arm has to heal and I can keep it still. And by doing that intentionally and enduring that, the arm actually heals much quicker. Okay. Okay. So, does that answer your question about enduring? Okay. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, uprooting suffering rather than management. What, what is meant by that? Sorry, what? Uprooting rather than managing. Well, is that the problem is there's several techniques with that. I don't think that there's anything that the Buddha ever said about uprooting. Let me give you this example. Imagine that you were going to be weeding your garden. You can, in fact, if the weed is the correct size, you can grab it and pull it up. But you got to dig down to see what the root is and grab it and pull it up. You can do that. But now there's the possibility that you're trying to remove a weed that's out on the sidewalk with the cement that the um, government has put up. And their government, that government is not going to be happy that you're digging up their cement just so you can grab a root of a, of a weed and pull it out. So how are you going to manage that weed? The way to handle that management of that weed is every time it comes up with a shoot, you whack it off. You don't ever let that the root of that um, uh, weed get a leaf so that it can get some daylight, some sunshine, get some energy, get some growth. You want to whack it off before it gets to that state. And when that happens over and over and over and over, day after day, month after month, year after year, perhaps, what's going to happen to that root that gets no nourishment? Is it not gonna die out? You didn't have to dig up concrete. You didn't have to make a great big mess. Okay, this is the teaching of the Buddha, the Anapanasati, to where I would say often that there's other meditation techniques, perhaps the Mahasi method, to where they want to go root hunting. And so here they go digging, looking for things, hoping that they can find something that they could, you know, take as a prize or dig it up and pull it out. But Anapanasati talks about it in the sense of <clears throat> in this moment, to remember to look at what you're thinking and if it's that, if that's that unwholesome weed just popping up into the mind whack that off and get back into wholesome whatever you want to grow in your garden it's and safe to doing say that no. over and over again and the weeds will die out go ahead it's safe to say though that the weeds can always grow back and i'm, I'm the weeds no matter how much you whack them off well, that's true for the beginner. Okay, because I have heard stories of people who have progressed down the jhanas 
And when they got to the fourth jana, uh, and whatever way they worked the fourth jana, they were able to dissolve something in their brain, or in their mind, um, and they they changed from that part on. And that I know you don't really like to talk about, but that's well, and- that's the whole thing about waking up. If you're in actually, if you're in the fourth jhana. And you know to remove unwholesome thoughts. See, it's it's quite possible for people to be in the fourth jhana and don't know that they have to remove unwholesome thoughts. That's the problem with the fourth jhana, that you've got to enter it correctly. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is... No, no, you don't... Here's the point right now, is that you do not understand at all what fourth jhana is. It's just a mental concept for you. So all the questions that you so all of the questions that you have about it are going to be based upon that concept that okay. you have. Well people often have entered the Fort Jana Damarata. How do you know that? How they, they do you know that? Because I believe them. Okay. And they're out there advertising it. Well, uh, well I've heard it on some podcasts, Damarata, yeah. Okay. Uh, I've, I've heard people went looking for suffering or they've watched the horizon and passing away in Fort Jana and something happened and they, when they were finished, they were just different. And that's what they call a sort upon, is it not? Or a stream enterer when that happens. Uh, well, that's the whole point. How do you know what to call it? No, I'm just saying what, I'm, what I heard. That's the whole, right, I, I, I know that. That's the whole idea, is, is that you've got a whole lot of questions based upon a very limited understanding of the words that you've heard of people yeah. using on podcasts. And um, one of the more important things is, is that the people who are saying that kind of stuff have never been bhikkhus, they've never been ordained within the bhikkhu sangha, where uh, uh, the situation goes is is that you can discuss what you have done with your teacher but that you don't advertise it in the community of the monks and you don't advertise it to lay people you don't say what attainments that you have that this is just not something that's done it's impolite to do so and it's also quite harmful and then one of the ways that it's harmful is that it makes some of people in your audience jealous of things they don't even know what it is. Okay, okay, yeah, well, look, yeah, that's no problem. But, but it is safe to say, I suppose, then, that not all of those people are, are lying. Um, I didn't say that they were lying. I'm saying that they're saying things that should not be said. Okay. Here's a, here's one who said that statement too. Perhaps you've already heard this before, in the sense of the don't spread your pearls to the swine. Have you ever heard that phrase? I don't think so. I maybe you have mentioned it before. The no, no, no. This is one. This is a quote from Jesus. Oh yeah, but what I'm saying is maybe you mentioned it in some of your videos, but I don't know that I've ever okay. heard it. Before. Okay. This is a point of wisdom that you don't spread your pearls to the swine. You don't advertise or brag about what attainments that that you've had. This is something that's just not done within 
the Sangha. Only people who have weird experiences, perhaps because they've read some books and now they feel really good, and then they'll go out and say that. And there's a number of people out there on the internet, and uh, I've, I've seen that, okay? But I would not normally trust anything that they have to say because they've got no foundation for it. Right. Okay. Well, what was their lineage? I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm saying that they're not worthy of being trusted. Okay. Um, what about discernment, Damaretto? When you're mindfully This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about, to have the discernment to recognize that many of these people that are on the Internet have no foundation for what they're claiming. OK, and therefore it's automatically suspicious. OK, yeah. But does when you're mindfully breathing in and you're mindfully breathing out, does does discerning things? What does that mean? Discerning how you're feeling. Discerning. Okay. Are you thinking? What are you thinking about? What are you in this moment thinking about? Are you thinking about what some dude said on the YouTube? Is that what you're thinking about? If so, recognize that you can think of something better than that. You can think about how nice it is right now. How this. This deep breath that we're taking in this moment feels really good. Okay, that's the discernment. The discernment is, is this thought a happy, wholesome, healthy thought? Or is this a thought of attainments and jealousies and um, bragging and all of that kind of stuff? Okay, that's the difference. The discernment. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about something right now? Or are you thinking about something that you heard last week or last month or yesterday? Okay, and also you can do that with feelings, how you're feeling right now as well. Right, right now, precisely. How are you feeling right now? And normally how we're feeling right now is the way that we were feeling because of what we were thinking about with something said last week or last month. So because I've been thinking about what was happening last week or last month, I'm feeling the way that I felt last week and last month until I wake up to that and says, hey, I don't have to feel the way that I felt last week, last month when I was listening to something that I didn't understand. I can shove all of this stuff aside and come into this present moment and be here now. Take a deep breath and says, wow, I'm glad I don't have to think about that stuff. I'm glad I don't have to remember that video. I can just be happy right now. Wow, that guy was claiming to be something special. Then I wanted to be that special. And now I recognize that I don't have to be anything other than satisfied with this present moment. Ah, what a relief that is. Now, but uh, when you're doing that, Tamara, from my experience, it doesn't happen straight away. It takes quite a while of talking to yourself before you start. You have to keep remembering, right? That's what the repetition is over and over and over and over and over and over again. Music is like that. One note does not make music. For me, I didn't take your teaching literally enough at the start because it is simply talking yourself into feeling good. 
But you need to, it's like having a conversation with yourself all day. In my experience. Well, having, having a conversation, let's not say with who it is. <laughs> but myself, <laughs> <laughs> having having a conversation that's right having a wholesome healthy conversation inside rather than having an unwholesome unhealthy conversation inside and you know what i noticed once or twice as well that i didn't even realize it i wasn't that conscious of it but all of a sudden i see oh jesus i'm actually talking to myself wholesomely i kind of forgot that i was talking to myself wholesomely for uh, but when I when I looked at it, I was like, I could see that I was talking to myself in a wholesome way. Like, so it was kind of on okay. the subconscious. If that makes sense. Well, the you know what the difference between conscious and subconscious is? No. Well, the I, difference I between conscious and subconscious is, is that when one you're asleep and the other and you're awake. That's why it's sub. It's subconscious because you're the one who is sub in the sense that your conscious is not up to what's really going on. That's what sati is all about, is to wake up and start looking at what's going on. Don't be subconscious. Be conscious. Wake up. Wake up to these thoughts. Recognize what you're thinking. Recognize and with discernment decide whether this thought is worth having or not. And probably it's not. What's your definition, Damoretto, of mindfulness? Because I've heard kind of different definitions. I don't even know the definition of the word mindfulness. I do know that almost everybody who has hears the word hears it in context of Buddhism and that the word doesn't exist outside of a brand new usage which means it doesn't even have an established definition yet. Well, if Maybe you, by the time that Webster's or whoever gives a definition for it, that definition may begin to stick. But I would recommend that we not use the word at all. Okay. But if I was looking for some help in that kind of direction, what would you give me other than just talk to yourself? In Sati is the poly word. Sati is the poly word. And the English words that I like to use is wakey, wakey, wake up. Look at what's going on. Get into your senses rather than in your head. And when so this happens in school, now wait a minute, when this happens in school, the child that is not paying attention to the teacher and his mind has wandered away. Perhaps he's looking out the window or something like that. And the teacher looks at that child and says, wake up and pay attention. Or they may say, stop daydreaming. Okay. That daydreaming is what we're talking about. That's the subconscious. It's letting the mind wander and daydreaming because we're not paying attention to what we're thinking about. Discernment is to wake up and look and judge this. Is this daydream worth having or not? And almost always the answer is, well, we could make some improvements here and there. <laughs> so that's a daydream. Okay, that's something. Out of the daydream. 
Let's come out of that daydream. Let's stop being subconscious. Let's start being conscious. Let's wake up so that we can see what's going on. What about the word peripheral awareness? Have you heard of that one? What's that word? Peripheral awareness. Well, that's being in your senses. You are aware of what's surrounding you. In fact, you are what's surrounding you. You're in a soup. You're in a stew. And there's all kinds of stuff rubbing up against you. There's all kinds of odors in the air. There's all kinds of things happening. You can experience things like barometric pressure and changes of temperature and the wind and the touch of the cloth. But in fact, most of the day you work around in the clothes that you're wearing and you're not even aware of the touch of the cloth of those clothes. As you're, but when you're sitting in meditation, you will intentionally pay attention to the touch of the cloth. Because we're now looking at the breathing and the sensations of the breathing. So you were subconscious to all of the touch and the weight of the cloth of the clothing that you're wearing. But when you sit down for practicing Anapanasati, we begin to subtly aware of that touch of the clothing. All day long we go around subconscious to it. We don't even know it's there. We're not paying any attention to it at all. But you can. Guess what? We also go around all day wearing a kind of a suit of thoughts. The daydream that we're in. And we're not paying attention to that daydream. Until we sit down for Anapanasati and then you start waking up to it. And we also wear a suit of feelings that are associated with those thoughts. And we don't wake up to that. People will say, oh, well, when I sit down to uh, meditate, I can feel that anxiety rather than, hey, I can dispel the anxiety when I'm sitting in meditation. But the reality is, is that they've already gotten uptight before they sit down in meditation. But they don't even know it. So we wear all kinds of clothing subconsciously. We're not aware of the feelings. We're not aware of the thoughts. We're not aware of the deep uh, longing that we have or any of that kind of stuff. And so Anapanasati is beginning to pay attention to how we feel and what we're thinking and what the body is doing, and what's the experience of it. This is the issue of the periphery. The question is, what's the core? The answer to that is, we don't know because the core keeps moving. All there is is periphery. Let's pay attention to the periphery because that's what's in motion. I know you speak about, and I'm sorry for saying that again, you told me to stop saying that. <laughs> I didn't say to stop it, I said denote it. <laughs> we'll get into what's needed to be stopped soon enough. <laughs> well, you're advising to only meditate for 10 minutes a day, six, 10 minutes, six times a day. But when I have my, when I have my best meditations and when I can make my mind the most wholesome is it's it's after about 45 minutes of meditation. Uh, but uh, no, I don't do that just one well, time. What a waste of time. What are you doing for that 45 minutes? 
I don't know, Why but that's when... not actually practicing meditation immediately. Sit down with the full intention that you're going to watch the thoughts and that you're going to modify the thoughts and that you're going to put yourself into a really good state. And do that within a couple, three, five breaths. Yeah, well, it takes me about 45 minutes before I can really say, wow, I really feel good right now. Well, that's the whole point is, is that it doesn't take that long. So if you have to, do it in 35, then do it in 30, then do it in 25, then do it in 20, then do it in 15, then do it in 10. This may take you six, eight, ten weeks to do it like that if you want to. Or you can go from 45 down to 20 this week. Then you can go from 20 down to 10 next week. Up to you. Depends upon your attitude. The attitude that you want to have is, I can do this. I can feel good right now. I can take a deep breath and just relax and say, wow, it feels good. Just uh, just let it all go. Why do you have to sit 45 minutes before you do that? Why can't you do that if within five seconds? Well, I try. Well, that's the whole point is, is that this is not a trying kind of effort. This is a different kind of effort. The effort is, is to, first off, is to remember and be glad that you can see this stuff. Become glad, happy that you can, in fact, see what's going on in your own mind. It's almost like the uh, sewer repairman after uh, a certain amount of time comes pulling his hands out of the sewer with a great big dead rat. And the um, uh, the sewer mechanic man is really, really happy that he's found this great big dead rat. Why? Because that's what he was looking for. And he found it. And now he doesn't have to dig in the sewer anymore because the sewer works properly because he got that dead rat out. Okay? And we can do that with every thought that we have. This is a dead rat. Throw that turkey out. We got him. Ah, I see that dead rat. Throw him out. And now I can just. Ah, everything's okay. So um, I see. I I heard. I said to Marato that you're living in an island off the coast of Thailand. How did you end up in a little island? By wisdom, by choice, by investigation. And were you, you, you were obviously on the mainland before that, were you? Pardon? Were you on the mainland of Thailand before you moved to the island? Were you living? Yes. Right. And do you help out any locals there on the island? Like you help us out, like with your teachings. Uh, I don't understand your question. Is there people locals where you're living? Do you teach them? Like well, you're there's teaching? about twelve thousand on the island here. Oh, do you mean do I have any students on the island? Yeah, students on the island. Like yeah. well, I. 
Tun is a permanent resident here of the island, and he's a student. And um, Eric just arrived. Then he went over to uh, uh, Dan Kiem and found a senior monk that took him under his wing and took him back to watch Suan Mok. So I'm very pleased about what's happening with Eric right now. That Eric is Eric is one of the guys who often calls into the group chat, is it? On Skype. Yeah. yeah. Eric Zonker. He's in yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh brilliant. That's excellent. Yeah, cool. Um deadly. That's good stuff to hear. Fair play to them. Oh, I've had many students, but we haven't had any students because of COVID, because the Thai government was very strict about the COVID, including the fact that there were no planes. <laughs> I mean, that's how strict that they've been for quite a while. But then they wanted a two-week quarantine, which nobody wants to do. Do you do anything, Damarato, that you... No, I know you obviously enjoy teaching the dam and that, but would you ever, the likes of yourself, do you have any hobbies or anything? Actually, I've got a hobby. And it is, um, let us say, um, very, very high tech 20 years ago. I, I think it's I heard not you speak- high tech today. Movies, so, you watch movies or something, man. I have, right, right. I have um, literally dozens and dozens of hard drives, most of them quite massive. And and when I say a massive hard drive, that means that it will contain up to about 10,000 movies. And I've got about 20 of them. <laughs> so we're talking about 200,000 movies. Now, how do I manage all of those? Well, I have three servers. Actually, I've got six, but I've got three of them permanently offline because they're not fast enough anymore. They're too old of technology, but the hard drives are still good. Um, but uh, actually, two of them are, are down. Two of the three servers are down right now, but I keep one of them up all the time to gather movies. I also have another server that runs a cloud. And the cloud that it runs is these 20 something eight terabyte drives. I don't know what that means, but anyway. (laughs) Well, megabyte, gigabyte, and terabyte. So uh, a a megabyte is one millionth of a terabyte. More or less one minute. This actually because it's uh, binary is uh, even more than that. You like watching movies, so no, and I don't watch movies. I'm not a I'm not a movie watcher. If I was only a movie watcher, I'd just watch them online. Well, not the movies, but the good ones. They don't put those online. The top. Uh, movies of this year we get off the internet, but I'm not. I don't get them to watch them. I don't watch movies often. Probably one a month or something like that. And, and uh, like, uh, are you still because cons- you obviously ordained as a monk? Are you still considered a monk that you live a, a, a you live at a house well, with family? Let us say it this way: that I don't wear the robe. 
and I don't live with other monks. However, there are a lot of fully ordained monks who don't do those two things. They don't live with other monks and they don't always wear monks clothes. But there is a disrobing ceremony that's done. It's quite formal and whatever like that. And so the last thing that I had done with them was that I took that disrobing ceremony. That's the proper and appropriate thing to do. It's a big ceremony. In fact, lots of people there. And for someone like yourself, would you ever go out for a beer or out to for a bite to eat in a restaurant or anything like that? Um, first off, I don't like beer. It doesn't taste good. Wine is not delicious things to drink. I do not understand, in fact, how people do get used to and start to like both the taste of alcohol and the effects of it. So what's the answer to the question? <laughs> okay. Well, the answer to the question is I would not go out with anyone for a beer, no matter what the invitation. Would you not? No, no. But I was just saying, even if you're in a restaurant with your wife, would you have a sip of wine or anything or even? Is that... Well, for one thing, the restaurants in Thailand don't sell alcohol. Okay. All right. Okay. No. But the second thing is, is that why should I go to a restaurant? Why should I do that? What's the point of going to a restaurant? Always restaurant food is more expensive than ordinary food and it's generally not as good. My wife's a cook. She's, an, she's the head cook in a well-known uh, French restaurant. You're on the island. Brilliant. Okay. So I get all the good food that I want. <laughs> Happy days. More than I want. She keeps well, anyway. asking me what you want. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not interested. I don't go and think about a food and then want to eat it and then go to a restaurant to have it. I don't have those kind of thoughts. That's no problem. Well, look, it's nearly time for me. This place is going to start getting a bit busier there now. But if you're speaking, Terry, give him my regards and tell him he might come online sometime and let us know how he's getting on. Actually, his computer is left here at the house and he took his cell phone. But uh, at Watsu and Moak area, he probably will not have much opportunity. There. Uh, it's out in the wilderness and cell phone uh, signals are not good there so uh, just quickly before i go what, what what kind of stuff would he be doing now damarata would he be just left on his own to meditate he would be or? learning to do nothing <laughs> and be satisfied with doing nothing what's there to do why do you why are you so busy is the way to answer it i ask the question but you ask that not me you ask yourself why are you so busy what is it that you keep wanting over and over again? You keep doing things over and over again. Why can't you just sit down and just be relaxed and happy and content in the moment? Not wanting anything. 
Well, that's what you can practice. Just sitting with and enjoying that 45 minutes rather than getting yourself into the state for 45 minutes so that now you can enjoy one minute. Why don't you enjoy the whole 45? Just sitting there doing nothing. I'll try. I do. I do enjoy most of it. I love it. All I'm right. Now that's the difference between I'll try sounds like a failure. But now you're saying, but you can do it. And I know that you can do it. You have been doing it. Keep doing it. And whenever you catch yourself not doing it, do it. And I have now, many people when they catch themselves not doing it, they fuss at themselves for not doing it, which is just more unwholesome thoughts. When you see an unwholesome thought, change it to a wholesome thought, not fuss at yourself for having unwholesome thoughts. Fussing at yourself for having unwholesome thoughts is even more unwholesome than having unwholesome thoughts. Congratulate yourself for seeing that unwholesome thought and say, yeah, I caught that dead rat. <laughs> and then you changed your attitude and your mood. And now you can set that dead rat down and just enjoy the moment. That's no problem, Big D, and uh, hopefully I'll be in touch again. Thanks very much for taking my call. <laughs> Dean, enjoy the moment. I will. I will. Just enjoy the moment. Everything is right right now. Everything is okay. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye.